Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another interview episode. Very excited for today's interview, our first ever taste of track cycling. Can you believe it that we've gone all these episodes and never spoken to somebody from track cycling? We are speaking today with Australian Tokyo Olympian Maeve Plouffe, who has just returned from Tokyo, funnily enough, and competed in the women's team pursuit, where the team did finish fifth. And it's quite an amazing story, this story of Maeve's, because she really didn't expect to be on this team when she switched to cycling. It's a late start in some aspects to go to cycling, a sport that she never really set her sights on until a chance test changed her athletics career basically forever and only a few years later ended up competing at an Olympic Games. It's a great story learning about everything that took her on that path, how many more Olympics she hopes to go to, the performances in Tokyo and how she thought the girls went, and even things around the mental training aspects of track cycling. It's very, very fascinating and a very insightful interview that I am sure you are going to enjoy. And you're about to enjoy it right now because here is our chat with Australian track cyclist Maeve Bluff. Always exciting to bring you a guest on Off the Podium, and I'm very excited for today's guest. Recently just returned from Tokyo, and as of today, she's speaking to us in quarantine. As of the time we're releasing this interview, she will be well out of quarantine and living up life. But having competed in her very first Olympic Games and having a very interesting path into the sport of cycling, I'm very interested to learn a lot more about that journey, her experiences in Tokyo and everything else in between. It's a pleasure to welcome off the podium, Maeve Plouffe. Maeve, first of all, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me. This is the highlight of my day, talking to someone who's not in quarantine at the moment. Um, It has been a long two weeks, so this is great. I'm just saying, you know your day's not very well when I'm the highlight. So um, (laughs) thank you, but I'm also sorry at the same time. So I feel there's a balancing act going there. I'm actually intrigued to, to say that you're the very first track cyclist we've had on the show, which is it, it's interesting because I sort of think of all the athletes we could get on off the podium and we've spoken to many over the years that you're actually the first track cyclist. We've had a, a mountain biker on the show, uh, but never a track cyclist. So I'm even a little bit more excited because it's one of those sports that as Australians, we're, we're generally pretty good at it. It's always one that gets a lot of coverage. We've had a lot of success in it. So it's one that we're very familiar with. But uh, it's a sport that you didn't start out doing, Maeve. You, you were a swimmer. How on earth do you go from swimming to track cycling? I, I don't see the connection there. Yeah, so there's actually a lot of principles in swimming and in track cycling that are actually very similar and that cross over quite well. But I wasn't aware of that either. In fact, 
I didn't even think track cycling was a sport, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know anything about it. My family doesn't do any cycling of any sport, uh, of any sort, sorry. And it, it was definitely something unfamiliar for me. I was actually picked up by the SASE Talent Identification Program when I was in my early teens. Um, that's a program that comes around to schools um, and they basically do some physiological testing. So they'll do the beep tests, they'll do jumps, heights, weights, everything like that. And they'll see if you're like a suitable candidate for any of the SASE programs. They didn't actually come to my school, but I went to a testing day for that because I thought that maybe it was an opportunity to get into rowing or a, a sport like that. Um, you know, I was a really, really sporty kid and I was always looking for new opportunities. Um, and I was actually, I didn't remember this, but my dad reminded me the other day that I was actually swimming the five kilometer open water state titles that day. And I was trying to make a national qualifying time. Um, and so I'd just gotten out of West Lakes, which the South Australians will know is not the nicest place to swim five <laughs> kilometers. It's, a, it's, it's not very nice at all. So I was, yeah, I was probably 12 or 13 years old. I just finished swimming the five kilometer race, got out, went straight to Sassy, did my testing. Um, and then I got a note in the mail saying, we think you'd be good at track cycling. And wow. yeah, I, I had no idea what it was. And to be honest, I didn't actually really like riding my bike that much. Um, <laughs> but, and I didn't know it was a sport, but I decided to go along. And when they put me on a bike, I realized like a track bike, I realized that this was not my hybrid mountain bike, slow thing at home. This was a nice bike and I really enjoyed going fast. And I did it for about six to 12 months in that, in that program. Um, so going out to the track once a week, I kind of put it around my other training. I was doing a lot of swimming at the time and I was also running and things a bit. Um, and I actually didn't really take cycling too seriously until a triathlon team called Fuse Multisport um, came to my school. So the coach, his daughter went to the school and he saw me swimming and he asked if I could run and ride a bike as well. And I was like, well, Sort of. Yeah, I guess so. So we dabbled a little bit with triathlons. I was able to start riding on the road from there. And then as I got better with my cycling, um, that kind of just progressed from there. And, and I ended up taking cycling full time. It's interesting that it's very specific when they say we think you'll be good at track cycling, because I guess there are ultimately a variety of disciplines for cycling. So it's very specific. I mean, what is it about the tests that show that, say, you're better at track cycling than road cycling or BMX or, you know, something along those lines? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point. I think that a lot of the fitness testing was actually quite endurance-based. So that sort of fits more of a track or road cycling discipline, although that would actually suit for mountain bike as well. I think it's just that Sassy has quite a strong track cycling program and they do like to start road cyclists and track cyclists with track. And they, that's kind of the pathway that they like to funnel riders through. Like a lot of athletes will do track to begin with and then they transition on the road. We don't really have that same sort of multidiscipline pathway for mountain bike and BMX. Um, but I would be really interested to see if they did have a mountain bike or BMX program, what sort of athletes we'd get for that as well, because that's something I've also never tried. And um, I think if, it would be really cool if you would have track cyclists who also dabbled in those other disciplines. Um, but yeah, I, I did do when I was going through the track cycling program, obviously road is a really important part of my training. So I was given both options um, to do both. I'm actually intrigued on a bit of a tangent, just, with your swimming days, you mentioned doing open water swimming. 
We actually talked a little bit about that during the Tokyo coverage um, when Karina won the bronze, that we were sort of intrigued to find out what is it that makes a swimmer go to open water swimming over lap swimming, because obviously it's sort of a, a fairly newish discipline to the Olympic calendar, but... In Australia, we think of swimming, we think of Thorpe, we think of Susie O'Neill, we think of, you know, the lap, we don't really think of open water swimming. So is there a decision as a swimmer that you go, oh, I'm better suited to swimming in the open water than doing laps? Or is it kind of, how does that work to choose open water swimming over the standard lap swimming? Well, for me, it was that I wasn't good enough in the pool. (laughs) 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 No, um, the thing about about swimming is that if you want to be an Olympic sort of prospect in the pool, you have to be making national teams like really young. You do have quite a young career. Um, No, the open water for me actually kind of transpired from, I was quite involved in my surf lifesaving and that is obviously open water swimming. It's, it's, it's a lot shorter. The surf lifesaving swim leg is only about 600 meters or so, um, but it's very similar principles. And so, yeah, I was definitely training in the pool more for a surf lifesaving sort of to race that, um, event and then I started entering in open water swimming competitions as well um, so yeah doing the five kilometer and the 10 kilometer um, and also my my team my sorry my club that I was involved in was quite good on like a state and national level at open water and I just started getting like a lot more success in open water like I could place top 10 um, nationally in that as opposed to the pool where like I'd be lucky to make a state final um, <laughs> yeah so with with the open water swimming career then I mean had that been something you pursued never switched to track cycling I mean you mentioning they're making top tens of of national teams was it something that realistically the Olympics were a possibility with that and that's what you were aiming for at that point um I probably hadn't really thought too deeply about Olympics for open water swimming I definitely enjoyed it um and like I was better at it than pool swimming. I was really seriously thinking about doing surf lifesaving sort of professionally. So obviously we've got that Nutrigrain Iron Woman series and things. And that was kind of always my dream, you know, move to Queensland and, and do the Iron Woman series or something like that, or even just continue as a, as a swimmer, open water swimmer and, and go to university there and things like that. I definitely always wanted to be a professional athlete though. I just hadn't really thought too deeply about what sport <laughs> I, I was really open to everything at that point uh, well I mean just on that though just in the Olympics in general of any of the sports that you were sort of dabbling in were there any that you kind of looked at as a potential path were, were the Olympics something growing up that were like wow I, I would love to aspire to be an Olympian one day yeah um I always wanted to be an Olympian and you know I was training from such a young age so many times per week like my parents thought I was crazy probably (laughs) I'd be up at four in the morning so that I could do a 30 minute gym session before my swimming session that started at five and then I would go to school and then I'd come home and train like that again in the evening and that was when I was like 11 or 12 years old so um, I remember I used to get one day off a week and I'd go for a run on that day well, sorry, wow. one morning off a week. Um, so I'd wake up at 5 a.m. anyway. So I was always super transfixed on that goal. Um, I 
remember I, I I did get a school visit from I think it was the Australian swim team when I was in school in Singapore so I, I used to live there and before the 2008 Olympics they stopped by my school and that's when I was like oh my gosh these Olympians are amazing I want to be like them um, and so I think I I just went into all these Olympic sports trying to achieve the best but kind of like spreading my effort across so many of them the first time I heard someone say like potentially you could go to the Olympics was actually when I was doing triathlon and I never ended up really racing top level or anything like that in triathlon I actually moved to cycling before I could but that was definitely the goal and my coach at the time said look like you know, it, it's an Olympic sport. It's definitely an option. And we kind of phased out a plan to get me to Tokyo for triathlon, I remember. Um, but pretty much within three months of making that plan, I, I made the switch over to pure cycling. And it was a, a big factor in picking cycling over, over surf lifesaving and other sports like that. Um, I remember a coach at the time did tell me, he said, you can go to the Olympics for cycling. And that was kind of one of the things that, actually did convince me that was that was the tipping point and I was like yeah you're right like that's that's an opportunity there it's really fascinating to kind of hear that background with the surf life-saving because we spoke with Elise and Jordan Wood recently and sort of talked about that whole correlation in regards to canoeing and kayaking that, that a lot of you know, surf lifesavers switched to that and they end up at the Olympics in, in that sport. So, I mean, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head. I mean, are you the only surf lifesaver that has ever gone to the Olympics in cycling? Because, again, it's sort of back to that question about swimming that it's sort of not really correlated unless maybe you are doing the triathlon. Uh, it, surf lifesaving and cycling couldn't be more different. Um, I'm sure that <laughs> people, some, some people still volunteer in it and things like that, but the kayaking definitely has such a good correlation with surf lifesaving. And I actually do know that um, when I was talent transferred to cycling, I got a little letter in the mail saying you should try kayaking as well. And I wow. actually did try kayaking for a bit. Um, and I, I liked it. To be honest, I thought I had a better future in kayaking than I did with cycling because I was quite upper body heavy <laughs> at the time. Um, and, you know, they, it actually kind of suited me better. Um, it's really interesting that I didn't pursue that any further, actually. One of the main reasons was a bit more of an accident. I was doing my weekly cycling session and that's all I was doing on the bike at the time when I was 13 or so. And I fell off and I dislocated my shoulder. And I couldn't, yeah. And I couldn't, I didn't think it was that bad. Like I kept doing the session and stuff. And then I guess I had all this fluid in it or something. And for the next few months, I actually couldn't lift my shoulder up properly and I couldn't move it properly. So I couldn't swim for a few months and I definitely couldn't kayak. And that's kind of when I started picking up the cycling training a bit more to keep my fitness in. Um, and in that time, I just decided, look, like the kayaking is not really for me. But it's so funny because so many of my really close friends actually pursued that elite career in kayaking. Um, and uh, like uh, most of my friends from Sassy, from the gym and from Surf Lifesaving actually have gone on to do really well in kayak. And um, so I am aware of that, that correlation and, and it does work really well. A lot of the Olympic kayakers will go to the Australian titles for Surf Lifesaving and do the surf skis, um, which is really cool. Were there any other sports that they kind of suggested to you outside of cycling and, and kayaking? I mean, do they sort of send you a list saying, hey, these are the top five sports we think would be suited to you? 
Um, not really. Pretty much there's, I think there's only five or so sassy key sports. So to even get two sports that they've suited is pretty rare. They do test a lot of kids. And I think the kayaking program, they get like 30 or so kids out of the 5,000 a year and they put them through that. And the cycling is really, really specific. I think they only get 10 just because the financial commitment to cycling is a lot. So they give the kids a bike and um, they do a bit more testing. So they'll actually get you on a bike and do VO2 testing. Once you make the initial cut, they'll like funnel it down even more because track time's expensive and kit's expensive and things like that. Um, so two was, I, I got two letters, but I, I don't think anyone really gets more than two. I think the other sports are volleyball and um, that wasn't happening for me. Wow. <laughs> my, my jump is not no, no, impressive. Not no, 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 no. I was definitely an endurance athlete um, and I think rowing might be another one. I'm not sure. I think there's another one, but I'm not sure. But I, I think there's four or five different sports that you can get selected for. It's, it's actually really interesting to hear that and kind of that there's that talent pool because I know we've had athletes on the show before where it's sort of more of a – they've been talent scouted to switch to a winter sport, you know, like if they're a gymnast, they're like, Hey, like maybe you should try aerial skiing or, you know, we've had uh, athletes on who have been, Hey, you might be good at skeleton and, and kind of, they make that switch. So, I mean, I'm not sure really if there's ever much of a transition from the the physical physicalities of the sports that you do. I mean, speed skating is one that I know a lot of Canadian athletes go from cycling into speed skating. So it'd be interesting to to see if one day you're going to get another letter all of a sudden from the Australian winter Institute or something like that. Like, Hey, hey, you can maybe try, you know, become our first female long track speed skater or something like that. You seem to be getting these letters, so who knows? Maybe one day. That would be funny, but I don't know if the world would be ready to see me try and ice skate. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows, right? Yeah, we'll see. Keep keep going on on a different route that way. So when, I mean, you mentioned before about sort of, the bike's obviously, you know, very different to what you've, you've experienced before on that. But when you get on that track for the first time, I mean, what is the, the biggest thing that you notice? Where You mentioned you weren't really familiar with the sport. I mean, I've been to a velodrome and those things are scary. Like you don't realise how steep they are and how scary looking they are until you actually are standing on one. So kind of was that part of it? I mean, what were sort of the things you were noticing when you first got out there onto a track? Yeah, the banking of the velodrome is definitely the first thing everyone notices when they get to a velodrome. Like you look up the thing and like, I I don't think most people in the general public who've never been to a velodrome understand that like you can't walk up the bends or even climb up the bends. If you even tried to climb up, you couldn't like these are like 42 degrees. I think the one in Tokyo was 43 even they are steep and um, you don't want to look down when you get to the top either. Like even now, I, you just don't look down. That was the first bit of advice I got given. Um, so it is scary, but I think with time, you definitely get used to that. And the other thing that I noticed from track cycling was, yeah, just that speed that you can get. And I love that it was purely physical as well on the track. Obviously, the bunch races bunch races are very tactical and you need to be thinking and drafting and um, those are incredibly tactical tactical to be honest like uh, that's the smartest rider out there and I wasn't too good at those at first but I've found my feet now Um, but I love just like the purely physical events like the pursuit and things like that because it is the same as swimming or middle distance running where you're just yourself against the clock Um, and and that's something I really loved about cycling. 
And just on that sort of when it comes to getting through the sport and, and working your way up, are there, is it a case of that the Australian team are scouting people for potential team members for, say, the team pursuit and, and things like that? Or is it a case of they make those decisions up later on once they see how you're going individually? I mean, sort of how does that work then that you can become either, say, a team rider or an individual rider or you're doing both? Yeah, it, it is actually really hard um, to make the Australian team in my sport because it isn't one of those sports where they kind of funnel people up and through. There is quite a distinct pathway of what you do. So you'll usually make your first state teams or something like that, or usually a state development. So that's when you're like 13 to 16 years old. I actually never made the state development. I just went to a state title straight away um, because I wasn't very good. Wow. <laughs> um, I wasn't very good. I, I loved it, but I wasn't particularly good when I first started. Um, but I was training a lot. And when I first got given a taper, I suddenly just went so fast and I had no skills, nothing. But um, that's kind of where it clicked for me um, because I was just overworking myself. And so, yeah, you go to your first um, national titles and if you get a decent result at a junior nationals then you'll usually get put into SAS, so it might be SASE or QAS or VIS or just one of the state institutes and that's kind of your pathway into the Australian team so most people will be in that state institute for like five to ten years sometimes um, you're in you are in there for for quite a while and that's where you develop all your skills you'll actually do a lot of road cycling there so you have the option to like go to junior worlds on the road as well um, and obviously you're studying things at the same time. Then when I got to sort of under 23, so I'd won a couple of national titles and I'd had a few little call-ups for World Cups. So I went to the Paris World Cup, for example, and, um, and raced with the senior team there, but I was by no means on the team. I was just kind of a fill-in. So if you're doing quite well at nationals and stuff, they might like bring you in occasionally in the old ways, but what happened when I got to under 23s is they actually changed the structure and they made like a Australian development team. So that was called the podium potential Academy. And they put me and pretty much the five or four other girls who were like at the top of this national sort of range, but not quite good enough for Olympics yet. They were thinking more of like a Paris 2024 team and they put, like four of us in there, sorry, I said five, but there was four of us who would make a team pursuit team and we trained for team pursuit. And that's, and that's the way that the Australian track team goes is team pursuit is number one. And I'm just talking from endurance, not from sprints, sprints, a completely different sport. People don't even yeah. realize, but it's totally different, but for endurance, um, yeah, there were four of us for a team pursuit team. And we would just do all the world cups that the senior Olympic sort of squad wouldn't do and we got lots of good racing experience and we, we were actually full-time athletes we, we trained full-time but we were all between we were all a bit younger sort of um whereas the senior team was a bit more old a bit more experienced they were all world champions etc one thing I'd love to know when you are sort of working your way up the ranks in track cycling is that you're obviously so attuned to having being a swimmer, you know, iron woman, all those kind of things too, that when you switch to a completely different sport, and as you were mentioning sort of at the beginning, you know, you're saying you're not very good, but then you obviously get to a point like, 
mentally to try and kind of work through that, that you've been scouted to come to this sport. They're saying that you're suited to this sport. Keep trying it. Like I can imagine during those initial phases when you're starting and, you know, you may be thinking like, oh, well, they think I'm good. Clearly I'm going to get on the track and I'm going to be great. But then you've got to work your way up to that level. I mean, kind of how do you get through Mm -hmm. that mentally to really get yourself in that zone and just stick with it? Is it just training? Is it just kind of pushing through those barriers to really get to the level where eventually you are going to an Olympics? Yeah, well, I remember going to my first sort of national junior track series and that's when you're about 13, 14 years old, like it's under 15s, under 17s. And I would come last in every race. I remember my dad even saying to me, he's like, you know, you're pretty good at swimming. Are you, are you sure you want to be doing this? <laughs> and I, I did. I, I really did um, because I did enjoy it. And I think that just came from the fact that my motivation has always been very individual. At the time, I didn't even care that I was coming last. Like I look back on it and I didn't care because I I was almost so individually like transfixed that I just wanted to be improving my times and my best powers and like my individual result. Like I was so transfixed on that. And I remember going to my first national title and I was sorry, my first national championship on the track and I got a silver in, in the individual pursuit and I was so happy that I was crying. And one of the girls who was quite good at the time and she'd won a lot of things in the sprint category, I remember she came up to me and she thought I was crying because I came second and was disappointed and she was like trying to comfort me. And I was like, no, I'm so happy. I trained so hard my whole <laughs> life and I finally got a national medal. And to me, that was just such a big deal. Um, and I went on to win a, a title in the time trial. Uh, so I won my first gold um, national title in the time trial that year as well. And, you know, it was such a big deal for me. So I think just like continuing on that trajectory, like maybe by other people's books, I wasn't the best. And I did get overlooked a lot of times. Like I didn't go to the first junior world championships. I was eligible because I didn't make the team. Um, and and I did miss out on a lot of teams, you know, uh, growing up and, I think my motivation was just improving myself though and and improving my times and that. And I think that's what kept me going through all all that time. You mentioned about sort of the differences, say, between the sprint and the pursuit endurances. And obviously there's there's key differences between so many of the track cycling events. Is it a a case where, say, as a swimmer, you're going to maybe be that endurance swimmer. You're going to be a 1,500-meter swimmer, an 800-meter swimmer. Maybe you'll go into the 5K versus a 50 or 100 or 200 i mean do you really kind of have to make that decision about the the endurance versus the sprint or is there much sort of overlap like you can do a sprint but also still be doing uh you know a a pursuit kind of thing like that um at the elite level there's currently no athletes that will do sprint and endurance at the same time so the sprinters kind of diverge usually when you're in under 19s or as a junior there have been a couple of exemptions so like Elise Andrews I raced her at junior worlds in the pursuit and she kicked my ass and then she's gone on to win Olympic silver in the sprint now so that's crazy so there's a couple of exceptional athletes who will just jump over and and make that switch but for the most of us you make that decision quite young but the thing about being an endurance athlete is that you're actually a middle distance athlete and you're an ultra endurance athlete at the same time. So in running, you know, you wouldn't have the guys who do, you know, a 1500 meter also doing like the marathon or, or like a 10 kilometer is a 10 kilometer even a race. I think it is. Yeah, I'm not sure. 10, meters, but, yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, you wouldn't have them, but in, in track, a lot of the guys who 
who uh, well if you want to be good at a, an individual pursuit for example if you want to be a good endurance rider and make teams you have to be good at that individual pursuit and that team pursuit so those are both around four minutes long but then you also probably have to be able to ride a madison or a, a, any of the bunch races which are like 30 to 45 minutes long um and you probably have to be a pretty good road rider as well so road races can range from a crit which is like an hour to a road race which is five hours long so you you have to be good at four minutes and five hours which is a massive range um and that's what we train for which is really really different from other sports and that is something that is very unique to cycling I wonder if in the future it's going to stay like that or if you're going to have to be very specific moving forward because even training, for example, for the individual pursuit now is so different from training for the team pursuit because they're both four minutes long. But in one of them, you're doing massive watts on the front, then swinging up and tucking in behind and doing few, so it's over under. Whereas in the individual pursuit, you're going out at a steady pace and just hammering it for three and a half minutes. So I do even wonder if those are, become, are going to become very different and that if we're going to see athletes who are just super good at one and super specialized at one and not so much the other, but so far most athletes who can do that team pursuit well can actually go and ride on the road well as well. Because the one thing I always find interesting about track cycling at the Olympics in particular is that it always seems to change slightly in terms of like one year you've got a Madison, then you don't have a Madison, then there's a Kieran, then there's an Omni, and like things are sort of all that way yep. and kind of it's just it's confusing. I mean, I know you've sort of got a, a good relationship with Brett Aiken, our, our gold medalist from Sydney in the Madison. I remember back in Sydney watching the, the Madison and the Kieran, like being fascinated by these great events. But then come Tokyo, I'm watching the Omnium and I'm, I'm thinking I need a, a physics degree to understand what Adam is and that we're trying to explain to me on TV. I st- uh, can, can anyone explain uh, the Omnium? I don't know. But why do they change uh, so goodness. much at Olympics in terms of the events? Like, <laughs> what is the scheduling and do you know much about why they keep changing up at the Olympics? It is absolutely bizarre. Um, so when my ex-coach, Brett Aitken, so he was my first coach, you know, he brought me through all this. Pretty good like he's coach the reason why your first coach. I know, I know. He, <laughs> wow. He's the reason why I'm here right now. And um, uh, so he obviously won gold in, in Sydney. And there wasn't actually a women's Madison in Sydney. Mm. And not only that, the women's team pursuit was only three riders. That's wow. something I've never understood because I never wrote it. It actually changed by the time I started. Um, so, yeah, we've gone from not having a women's Madison to having a women's team sprint with two riders. Um, now they're changing that to three after this year. Uh, women's team pursuit with three riders. I'm pretty sure. And they had an Omnium, which used to include a flying 200 sprints, individual pursuit, elimination race, scratch race, points race. So it was like the best all-rounded rider, and that was over two days. And then one day they were just like, nope, changed it, and now it's all these kind of odd bunch races, so you've got a tempo <laughs> race in there, and it's all written yeah. over like at the Olympics it was one afternoon, which is crazy. And, I mean, like it's still a great race. Um, it's, it's entertaining, it's a really cool race, but I'm just but, like, what but is it's a going different race on? Now. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I wouldn't say it's the best rounded rider anymore. And sorry, before I missed, they also had a 500-meter 500, uh, 500 time trial on that. I missed that one. Um, but it's a different race. So the riders who used to be good at Omniums, a lot of them are still good, but it's not the same. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's bunch racing now. Um, and, you know, we're just having events thrown in and taken out. I would love it if the Olympic Committee would just stick to our world championship program 
because there are a lot of amazing good quality races that actually aren't put in the Olympics, like the individual pursuit. Like some of the times that are being posted in the individual pursuit nowadays it, are incredible. Like it's, it's this amazing indication of just pure strength, just you versus the clock. And that's not in the Olympics. And I feel like that's the race that actually fits the Olympic like yeah, motto sure. and values the best. And that's not in there, which is such a disappointment. I think they're trying to make it interesting for the viewer, but in the process, so that's what they're saying they're trying to do, but in the process, I actually think they're making it more difficult and more complicated. So if you're not in the cycling niche, you don't understand it. Like, I don't think we can expect the general public to understand how a Madison works. It's, it's difficult. Um, and same as a tempo race. Like, what is that? Um, and I think a lot of uh, the athletes uh, share the same frustration. You know, I think they could definitely simplify it, just move to like a world championships schedule, add in an individual pursuit. They could add in a points race, I think would be a really entertaining and good race to do. You know, you sprint every 10 laps and get five, four, three, two, one points or three, five, three, two, one points, sorry. Um, and, and just events like that, which are actually pure sort of strength efforts. I mean, on that page, talking about say a scratch race now you and i mentioned a little bit off air that um i've i was at a championship you went to the the oceanic championships in new zealand back in uh 2019 you won the scratch race at that and a couple of uh silvers and bronzes as well what was that experience like you're talking about getting a silver medal at a, at a national championship to go on to become an oceanic champion i mean that's a bit of a step up there i mean kind of what was that whole experience like to walk away with that amount of medals that championship was actually probably the thing that started this whole Olympic journey. I'd actually come from a really bad injury. So I was over in Belgium and I crashed quite badly, broke my wrist. Um, and I had quite a long recovery coming back because the whole team was still obviously overseas enjoying themselves doing this big, important training block that was really important for our training. And then, so this was the Australian development team. And then the Australian sort of Olympic team, were starting to train up for the track at the time they were they were getting ready for this olympic this was 2019 they were getting ready for their olympic campaign this is pre-covid we didn't I, know what covid was yeah, back then, did pre-covid we? <laughs> we thought yeah we thought that the olympics were in 2020 um and i remember coming back and just sitting on my ergo for like weeks weeks and weeks and weeks so the stationary trainer and just punishing myself on this ergo just doing so many hard efforts and my power was so bad. I actually had to put a towel over my power meter because it would just make me sad. And, but it was just all about that perceived effort, just going so hard. And I came out of it like feeling pretty strong, but I didn't think I was going crazy. And I went to the Oceana championships and I was just flying. Like I was feeling so good and I had so many good races. And I think, I think I got a medal in all of my events at Oceana's, which was awesome because I did every event which you usually don't do like you usually pick and choose your races and I was like ah screw it I'm just gonna do everything <laughs> and yeah and I, I did and I had such a great championships and yeah I won that scratch race and I think I pulled 10 seconds off my individual pursuit and our team we pulled a massive amount of time off our team pursuit as well we all did personal best there so um that was I think the thing that caught a lot of attention and that opened up doors for me later down the track so after that Oceana champs, I was given the option to train once a week with the Olympic squad 
um, because they had seven girls and if they had eight, they could do two team pursuits. So I was allowed to come in once a week and I treated that session once a week, like my Olympics. Like I was like, if I've got to do so well in the session every week. Um, But that Oceana's was probably one of those like career defining moments, which is so funny to think because yeah, it was just an Oceana's, but it was a massive deal for me. Yeah. The thing I loved about that event was that, yeah, you had Australia and you had New Zealand, but then all of a sudden it was, you had Tasmania, you had South Australia, you had <laughs> Southland, you had Waikato, like you just kind of had these regions. And like, I remember covering it, just looking around and, you know, oh, you know, deep down I'm like personally covering the Southland athletes because I'm there, you know, writing for a local paper. But then I'm like, oh, look, there's, there's Tasmanians and there's Australians. And then and all of a sudden like, you know, oh, there's Amy Cure. Like I know she's a great, you know, yeah. a great Tasmanian and things like that. And you kind of got to get in the zone, but it was such a unique event. And it was it was fun. Like it was just a, like that's a that's a really interesting championship and one of the most interesting sporting championships I've ever been to. I really miss Oceana championships. I can't wait for them to come back. You know, some of I would say that my best successes have actually generally been around Oceana championships more so than nationals. Like I think um, I won a road time trial at Oceana's once when I was in under nineteens and. It was like still to this day one of the happiest like wins of my life, and just because it's it's so much fun racing against the Kiwis as well, and exactly. I, yeah, and just the depth of the bunch racing, the depth of the bunch racing when you get everyone together, and especially for someone like me who at that time in my career, Oceania Championships was like the highest level I would race. You know, I went to Junior Worlds once, which was obviously a higher level, but that was my international racing. So for the girls on the higher squads, they were like, oh, it's, this is nothing. But for me and for the other sassy riders, we were like, oh my gosh, we're like, in, this is international racing. And we got to race like the top level girls at those races. So it was a really big deal. And you're wearing green and gold. You're, you're representing Australia. I mean, you know, that that is a big deal. It, uh, it doesn't matter where yeah. you are in the world to compete for Australia. I mean, that, that's got to be a huge honour to wear that uniform. Yeah, yeah. I think we were in our like Australian development uniforms, I I think. And then in the Oceanas before that, I would, I think I raced for the South Australian, the Sports Institute. Um, but still like, yeah, just to, and to even go to New Zealand and to get a taste of international racing and racing against the girls who I later go on to race against in World Cups and stuff. Now I've got to ask, I don't know how much downtime you get when you're in Invercargill, but did you try a cheese roll when you were there in Invercargill? No, but I do remember one thing completely stumping me and I'm not sure if this is a New Zealand wide thing or, or just in Chicago, but I remember ordering, ordering a cappuccino and they asked me if I wanted chocolate on top or cinnamon on top. And I've never heard of having cinnamon on top of a coffee. I that's yeah, I don't bizarre. know if that's an Invercargill or New Zealand thing, but I remember getting that asked a lot too and just kind of like you just kind of went with it. But, yeah, I, I don't know if that's just a uniquely Invercargill or it's a New Zealand thing. But uh, you find that out when you're in a – like because you assume that New Zealand's just going to be the same. Like, oh, it's, it's just Australia Junior. Like everything's going to be the same. But I would have words said to me and I had no idea. Like when the first time somebody said to me, chur, I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Chur? And they're like, chur. <laughs> what are you saying to me? It's like, it's like thank you, chur, cheers, like chur, chur, bro. Yeah. I'm like – like, I was confused the shit out of me. And then, like, you kind of take a step back when somebody says, oh, I'm just going to lux the office. And you're like, you're going to do what to the office? I'm going to lux it. It's short for Electrolux, the brand of uh, vacuum cleaner. They're going to vacuum. I'm like, okay, there is a different language going on here that I just am so naive I didn't Definitely. understand. <laughs> They've evolved. <laughs> yes, they have. They have. They're just going to learn now how to pronounce sixes better. And then maybe we can... Uh, I... I- 
Uh, yeah, I have a, a theory that it's going to be even worse after COVID because I've just been like geographically <laughs> isolated. So like I, I do, um, my university degree is, is biology. So you hear all about like continental isolation and when we get the, these crazy animals and species evolving, I think the slang is going to evolve even further now they've just, just been with themselves for that long. Probably the, sad, the same as Australia. Well, the sad fact <laughs> is when you live overseas, as I'm sure you're aware, you, you get in a zone, you get used to things. But then all of a sudden when you're back to, say, Australia, like I lived overseas for nearly three years. When I got back to Australia this year, I'm like, God, do we sound like that? Is that what our accents sound like? And then if I speak to someone back in Canada or back in New Zealand, I'm like, did I live around that accent for how long? Like what's going on? Like it's it's a weird sort of thing, isn't it, when you go from living in one place to another and you sort of get back used to being in a certain place. Yeah, you definitely acclimatise (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 a strange sort of beast of that. Obviously, you mentioned about the Oceanics being sort of almost like a a stepping stone, helping you get out there, sort of to lead towards the the Olympics. That was end of twenty nineteen, as we said, no COVID. We're thinking that a normal Olympics is going to happen in at that point about eight or so months time. At, at what point did you think to yourself, the Olympics are now a realistic possibility? I'm not having to wait till Paris. I can actually go to Tokyo instead of Paris. Yeah, that was a that was a big time, and that actually happened over a couple of months. So, uh, f- to paint the picture, I wasn't in the running. I wanted to be, and I thought that I thought that at my best, I could contribute a lot to the team. So, I actually went and asked. I, I held a meeting with one of the head coaches, and I was like, "Look, I'll kick myself if I don't have a shot at making this team. And at the worst, I think I can help out. Like, I can help." get everyone to this level. I just want to contribute and I want to be a part of it. And they were like, yeah, okay, like, cool. Um, But once I got that opportunity to go into the training environment, just once a week, you know, I I was giving my all to that session and I was coming prepared and, and just trying my absolute best. And I got a phone call. I was actually meant to be going to Glasgow world cup um, in, I believe it was October, I think after the Oceana champs and I got a phone call and they said, look, we're, we're actually, we've seen enough from you. We're not going to send you to this Glasgow world cup. We're going to send you with the A squad to Cambridge world cup and to Brisbane world cup. And I was like, Oh wow. And at the time, Amy cure, I think had suffered a bit of an injury. So I think I was sort of filling in for her, but regardless, I was, the team was sort of getting dwindled down. So pretty much after that announcement was made and after the Glasgow World Cup, um, the team of eight girls got cut down to six and I was in that six. And I was like, whoa, because I wasn't even expecting to, you know, be in the eight to begin with. So suddenly the team had been cut and I wasn't, I'd moved up as well. And I was like, okay, here we go. And I was told not to even really expect to get a ride in in Cambridge. I was told like, you know, you're going to kind of be a reserve. Um, and I ended up riding every round and including the final. And I was like, okay, like, this is pretty good. But I was very aware. It was a very stressful time because I was very aware that if I had one bad ride, potentially that was me done. Like they'd probably be like, all right, see ya. Cool. Thanks for helping us out. So I was like, I cannot screw this up. And so I went to Brisbane and it was the same deal. I rode all three rounds and I was like, okay. Um, and we kept training after that, you know, I, I kept training really hard. And 
like by this point, like the pressure was actually building up and I would always perform on race day. I think that's something that I really like, I'm proud of myself for is that I do always bring it out on race day and I don't really crack under pressure. Um, but you know, because we were doing all this racing, it was just building up and building up. And then they were selecting the world championships team. And they kind of said, like, if you're, if you don't make the world championships team, you can't make the Olympics. Like you're, you're done. And I remember going to a trial sort of race the day before and it was kind of like bittersweet because I realized I had made the team based on one of my teammates not making the team and so I didn't even really get and that was for the world championships team so we were getting told who was going to the world championships and there would just be five girls going to the world champs and there were six at this point um and you know I wasn't like I'd had two great world cups and I was riding really well in training. I was giving everything my absolute all. So I really wanted to make this team. And yeah, we, we all got sat down one day and they were like, okay, we've, we've actually decided to cut so-and-so. And like, that was actually really hard to hear because like I found out I'd made the team. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to the world champs. That means I'm going to the Olympics unless anything happens. But then at the same time, I was like, like, it's just hard because everyone gives it that absolute all in the lead up to the games. And this had been like a three year, three, four year endeavor for, for the other three girls who hadn't made the cut. Um, so yeah, you, you did feel for them. So, so that was hard, but I think I definitely got to celebrate it kind of after the world championships finished. And I had three, oh, sorry, two really good rides um, we didn't make a final. So two really good rides in the world championships, like within myself, I was really happy with how I rode. The team didn't go as well as we hoped, but it was an improvement for me still, like I was still learning. Um, and it was after that world championships when I knew I was on the team and then it got announced and I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually real now. <laughs> Which going right back to when you mentioned about how you'd always dreamed of becoming an Olympian. I mean, I, I can't, imagine that that is a moment you can even put into words to realize that this is this is that childhood dream you realize that you are now always going to be an olympian yeah and that's it and i don't even think i have really realized it maybe i'll realize it when i i see my family and stuff you know i'm looking back on the fact that tokyo was just two weeks ago and i'm like oh my gosh it's done like we've done this already and i think i just always had my sights so set on like paris or something that Tokyo was like a stab in the dark for me. Like I just threw myself at Tokyo and was just like, I want to be part of this. Let me in. And like, perhaps like sometimes I probably came off as intimidating and there were times when like I did have to absolutely just rail it to get in this team. But at the end of the day, like this journey has gone so quickly and so fast and it's been so hectic that um, it's crazy because I actually haven't had a time to sit back and reflect yet. <laughs> I can imagine you, you say said a little something to your parents about, you know, hey, remember that time when I started track cycling and you said maybe I should stick to swimming? Well, hey, just got back from the Olympics. So, you know, just FYI, it kind of worked. <laughs> I think my uh, parents always knew that I was going to be a professional athlete in some ways. They didn't know what it was, but they were like, yeah, we always knew. <laughs> <laughs> Which obviously the delay of the Olympics, I can imagine from that joy of, of becoming, you know, an Olympian, you know, you're going to the Olympics to Australia withdrawing uh, and then all of a sudden the games being postponed. What was that period like when you find out that because Australia, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, was the second nation behind Canada to say no, we're not going, and they hadn't announced at that point that the games were delayed. So there was every possibility that if an Olympics went ahead, 
in 2020 as scheduled that Australia would not be competing. So what are the emotions like when all of a sudden it's, hey, I'm an Olympian, but I might not be going to the Olympics because Australia are not competing at the Olympics? Yeah, so that time was really hard to take because, you know, I'd just gone through such a hard few months. It was emotionally a really draining few months and there was like lots of highs and lows and I'd ended it on a massive high and I was like, I'm, I've done it, I'm going. And then finding out that news, it was just, it was devastating because I felt like I had earned it and it just been ripped away from me. But then at the same time, I knew it was the decision that had to be made. And at that point, we didn't, think we for there are a few weeks there where we didn't think the games were going ahead and we thought they'd been cancelled and there were like it was it was actually quite hard because I even remember announcing my Olympic that I'd made the team and this is when COVID was like sort of just trickling through and I remember like everyone congratulating me but then everyone being like oh if it happens or like if you go like like and there are actually there are even some like nasty sort of people like you're entitled if you think you'll go to the olympics and i was like what like what am i supposed to say this is my job you know um and i remember it being quite hard because yeah you you didn't want to talk about the olympics because people would be like you're naive if you think they're going ahead but then you had to have that hope and you had to wake up every morning and train like the olympics were going ahead like, I think that was the hardest bit is that you, you, we still had to wake up every morning while everyone else is in lockdown or like when everyone was, you know, just like stopping their jobs and, you know, everyone like there's kind of jokes where people were like, oh, we've been eating unhealthy. We've been drinking and all this stuff. And we've been partying during COVID. It was so much fun sort of thing for a little bit. And then it got hard, obviously. Whereas like we were still like having to wake up every morning training like we were getting out of this thing. Um, and, and that was quite hard. Um, but I actually didn't take any time off when I heard that the Olympics were postponed. So I think every, everyone else I know did, they all took like a week or two off just to process it and then get back into things. I just kept going full steam ahead. I was like, I just had to throw myself at it even more. And in hindsight, it was like, I actually realized a few months in that, you know, the postponement was actually a benefit for me. And I realized that if it did go ahead, a whole extra year of prep for someone like me who's young and has just started this team is the best thing that could happen for me because it is a team sport and I was a new member of this team. The whole team had been training together for some four years and I had just made it in and I would have been going to the Olympics with a team that I'd been racing with for like a couple of months, which is crazy. Um, So that year I realized was a huge benefit for me and I think that was like a mental turning point and, and that's what gave that, me that motivation. When it comes to team cycling, how important is that team bonding aspect in terms of, you know, let's do some activities outside of just hitting the track and hitting the gym? Because I would love to kind of hear how that works in terms of the, the team camaraderie on the track versus off the track. Because, I mean, if we're talking a, a soccer team, you can understand how bonding off is going to help you on the pitch. But how can bonding with the girls help you then on the track when you're racing at full pelt? I would definitely say that track cycling team pursuit is more alike to soccer or a team sort of ball sport as opposed to like a relay. So in a relay, we've got like you go, you do your effort and then you pass it on or you hit the wall and the next person goes in and does it. And your effects, your sorry result doesn't actually affect the next person except for in the overall time. 
Whereas in track cycling, what you're doing on the front is actually directly impacting what the person behind you is going to be able to do when they hit the front and how many laps you do on the front and the decisions you make out there and the trust that your team has in you is actually going to directly affect the outcome. So I think team bonding is actually a really important part of it. And um, the group that we have is, is actually got a really good dynamic. Um, we had a couple of more experienced riders and then we had a couple of younger riders. And I think one of the main aspects is having that trust in every single person in the team that they're going to go do their job and do it to the best of their ability. And, um, and, you know, you do have to know the people on your team inside out because you've got to know what their tells are when they're like, might be struggling or slowing pace because you got to yell them to get out of there. You got to know what they do when they're feeling good or if they're feeling good, because then potentially they can go longer or do further. And also different roles, different wheels, uh, like have different skills about them and different niches that they fill. So you've got to work with the team and get all the personalities together and figure out which person is suited for which wheel and kind of optimize that. It is definitely a, an optimization task and you know, it's not like soccer or rugby or something where you kind of have your set position. You know, you can be flexible and move positions around and change tactics, but you need to understand everyone's strengths and everyone's weaknesses. And you have to be really open about that in the team. Like we know each other back to front and we know every weakness of every single person. I remember we actually had a meeting one time and we all sat down and we all just laid it down on the table and it was this was a, a, a quite a while ago, but this is when I first made the team. And I was like, oh my gosh, is this what this is like? And we, everyone was like, it wasn't just like your physical weaknesses. It was like your personal weaknesses, like how you present wow. yourself, your personality. Like it was intense, but that's the level we have to get to. What, 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 what are they saying? Like you don't oh, wear deodorant just... enough or like you, you <laughs> snore too loud. Like what are they saying to you? <laughs> Fortunately, it wasn't it wasn't that petty, but oh, it was just like um, like everyone just has their little things. Like I think at my at my point, I was trying to strike the difference between um, sorry, strike a balance between being like engaged and active within the team, and then talking too much and being too into it and being too intimidating. So my feedback was like you need to like chill out sometimes, <laughs> like, <Wow>. like <laughs> stuff like that. But but you know, it's just about like. And, and you can't take anything personally. And it was actually a really hard thing when I first made the team because we will do an effort on the track and then we'll come in and we'll talk about it. And that's with every single effort that you're under the microscope constantly and you're getting feedback. We call it feedback, but you're just getting feedback just from like every angle. You're getting it from the coach and then you're getting it from four other girls on the team and then you're getting it from the sports scientists and then everything else. And um, it is constant and like I had to ask the psychologist like what to take in and what to leave out because you can only absorb so much feedback um, and sometimes it, it gets to the point where it's actually not constructive anymore it's just like you, you can't take it all on um, and it, it is difficult because you have to have a personality that does fit within within the team and it's, it's really hard to find that personality and to make yours fit within the team um, because it is something that you have to learn. The team pursuit is just a, a bonkers event. Like it, I, I love watching it because it is just so thoroughly entertaining. But it's just, it's bonkers because as someone who who knows nothing outside of being a four year observer of the Olympics about the sport, it's just, 
I, I watch it and go like, you guys are crazy. Like, this is just like, I, 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 I'll be honest with you now. I can't ride a bike. I've never learned how to ride a bike. There's an open admission on the show right now. So, but I can't even imagine what it's like to then to, to compete on that level, to go on those banks and kind of do it at the speed that you guys are doing. What is it about the team pursuit that just makes it so exciting for you though? And, and all your teammates, like obviously it's competing at the, the top level, going to an Olympic games, representing your country, but I can't imagine when you're out in the track, you're thinking, oh, I love this. This is the best thing ever. But like, it's kind of, I mean, what is it about it that just makes it so great? I think when you're out there, there are actually sometimes those times when you're like, wow, this is great. For example, when your team is going well and everyone's just doing their role on the front and you're going past your coach and he's, so we actually have a little, well, like, not whiteboard it's actually like a little ipad that the coach holds up and he has our splits on it so we're going around and say 15 second laps that's if we're on a good day <laughs> but we're going around in <laughs> 15 second laps and you can't deviate ideally you can't deviate from that more than 0.2 of a second if you do everyone's going to be pretty pissed off at you because that zaps people's legs it makes you tired so you want to be like on that 15 seconds. So when he's, and he's got little colors for this, is how our team does it at least every team's a little bit different, but for us, we get shown colors. So a green means, yep, you're on. And when you're out there and you're just seeing like greens every lap and you're feeling good and you know, everyone behind you feeling is feeling good and you know, it's going to be a fast time and you're like ready to bring it home. That is a good feeling. And it's a good feeling coming over that line and seeing that time and being like, yeah, we all did that. Like we all contributed to that, to that. And then you get off and you're looking at the splits and it's like exciting. Um, and like, unfortunately we didn't really have that moment at the Olympics, but there were so many times in training before the Olympics where we had those days and we saw our times, like we actually broke the world record a few times in training in the, in the lead up, which is crazy. And that's, such a motivating thing to know that you're capable of doing that. So obviously it was unofficial, like you need officials and stuff around there, but you know, to, to get those times and get those splits and get results with your team is just the best thing when it all comes together. What then, I mean, if you're setting world records in, in training kind of in the lead up to the Olympics, I mean, do you go in then thinking, well, Hey, this, this is ours. We can get a gold. I mean, kind of what were the expectations of the team heading into Tokyo? Yeah, we, we thought we could get a gold, to be honest. Um, we didn't see why not. And I think that's the attitude that you have to have going into an Olympic Games. And it was the probably the most prepared I'd ever felt within my team and, and the best, I think, prepared the team all felt. It just happened to be that there was just one bad day on that first day and that, and that rode us out of the medals. And, you know, hindsight is crazy. So we're going to have to go through and, like, look at our training all the way up to it. Maybe we peaked too early, not sure. Um, I haven't looked at like all the physiology behind it and the training and everything, but the fact that we were going a lot faster in training than we did at the games does show that something's gone wrong. And I think it might've been more from the physical side of it. Um, Perhaps we just haven't all come together at the right time or been on on the right time. Um, but it is still really exciting for Paris. You know, that's something I've had to take away from it. I was like, I was so disappointed. Like, it's funny. Cause like, I was so excited to make the team and then I come fifth and I'm disappointed in that. Like, it's crazy how your bar changes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I shouldn't be disappointed with it at the Olympics. Like, I think that's crazy, but I like, I'm not going to lie. I, I was really disappointed with fifth and, 
I, but you do have to take something positive away from that because uh, like other, otherwise you're not going to keep improving. So I think we can take away that as a positive and the lead up as a positive and a lot of little key things from that and move that into Paris and like try and go a lot better. How does it work on the mentality side of things? Because I'm always intrigued in, in sports in the Olympics where, say, you you don't make it to the medal rounds, but you've still got to come out and try and finish fifth. Like, is there a yeah. motivation to just want to finish fifth or are you just at the point where you're like, fuck this, we, we, we're not getting a medal. Like, I, well, who cares about finishing fifth or sixth? Uh, I was like, I went so hard in that fifth spot round like because yeah we had to do that we had to ride ride for fifth and I was like like I went so hard I think because I think in our sport you can still go for a time and I just wanted to put out the best time possible like you still you still have to ride for your country and you're still putting on that green and gold skin suit so you're still going to give it your absolute best and you also owe it to your teammates to give the absolute best so I'm riding in a fifth sixth final with that same fire than I that I would be for a first second final, <laughs> which it's just it's just always fascinating because I can imagine there is that motivation to kind of come out. and like as you were just saying like you know after this whole sort of journey and everything and you get back home relaxed you can always say I finished fifth in the Olympics I mean that's a pretty cool thing to be able to to tell people about mm-hmm. but it's just it's that. That interesting moment where, you know, watching the Rugby Sevens girls, you know, coming out, not making that, and then all of a sudden they've got to back it up. Oh, we're going to go and finish fifth. Like, it just, I just must, it must be just such mixed emotions, as you're saying. Like, I want to go out there and do it, but at the same time, yeah. it's like, well, why? Like, it's kind of like, yeah. it's sort of, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, but I think definitely having a team sport as well makes it, like, increases that motivation because you're just, no matter what you're riding for, like, for example, even when we're just riding a trial against no one else on the track, no one sees the results. And it's literally the only people that see the result is you and the coach. And like, I will still go like full ham. Like it, it doesn't, I guess to me, it just doesn't even matter who's watching. Like I, I would go, like, for example, today I did a 20 minute max test absolute full pelt in my room and like no one's gonna no one sees that no one's gonna look at that data i'm not putting it anywhere that's just for me and you can share it now so if you I, want to you impress the coaches yeah, and no, all that if they want to know <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't want to know the data it wasn't that great but but yeah i i guess just the motivation is so intrinsic that it's never even crossed my mind to kind of yeah not go my hardest i love hearing about the camaraderie in, in the, the teams of the individual sports. For example, we've had a few people on from athletics recently and sort of just they've talked about how the, the motivation was so high amongst the team uh, along that journey in Tokyo. What's it like during with the cycling team? I mean, obviously, the men came out and got the bronze sort of in, in the in the pursuit, so I can imagine obviously you guys probably work a little bit closer. You're kind of doing the same thing. I don't know if that worked. But, I mean, what is the camaraderie and sort of the, the, the teammateness like during an Olympics and how sort of was it after the games had finished based on the, the performances that the team gave? Yeah, so we, we're really close with the men's track endurance team in particular and also with the sprinters. So we train together pretty much all the time. We do all our training together. And the the culture and the lead up to the games was great. Like everyone was so amped for each other. We seriously, like we were all excited to see each other go and we had really high hopes for each other and they really think that like bounced off for each other. Um, that first day was hard because – 
you know, we qualified out of the medal spot. So our qualification meant that we couldn't get a gold on that first day. And I'm not sure if you saw, but in the men's endurance spot, in the men's track endurance team pursuit, the handlebars snapped off. Yeah, just just a which, bit of a break. Uh- <laughs> yeah, which which is like that, that's never happened. What I've happened? never even seen. What, what I've never seen it? that in my life. I've got no idea. I think I think it was just a like a fault in in the bars. But we've been riding those bars for so long now, and that's never been a thing. Like I think they're releasing an official report, but. So I'm not really sure. And it definitely didn't like concern me that my, I think I'm not, wasn't even running those bars anyway, but uh, regardless, it was just like shocking because no one, Mm. we were like, what just happened? And then the boys obviously qualified um, out of, out of that spot as well. And like, we all got back to the hotel and we were just like, everyone was just like, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) Like Mm. we, we were just like, this was not, how it was meant to go everyone was so shocked and confused and and we all got sat down in a meeting and they were kind of just like look you guys can still go for a bronze medal like everyone here like we had a ship first day but it's not the end and um I definitely was really impressed how our team picked ourselves up for the next day and and gave it our all we took a huge chunk of time off on the next day um and we just qualified I think it was like point two of a second it was something tiny out of out of the bronze medal ride like it was it sucked like how close we were to getting into that ride off it was oh, oh. anyway um <laughs> it's not it's not it's still, not frustrating still at all you, oh, you're over oh, it completely yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm over yeah. it no um, <laughs> but um we were so close um but the fact that we took that much time off to get like and came so close to getting that bronze medal like I do commend our team for that. Like that, that took a lot of guts. And then the men's team obviously did did the same and they, and they did get into that write-off. And um, I guess it was just the most hectic few days of team pursuiting as well, because I think there was like four crashes in the team pursuit. Mm. And as someone who doesn't, if someone who doesn't watch cycling, they're probably like, oh yeah, high speeds, big helmets, can't see anything. Like, of course it's crashes, but no, that's not a usual thing. There's n- never usually a crash in a team pursuit. There might be one and everyone will kind of laugh at it because they're like, oh, you crash in a team pursuit. Like that's, it, you don't crash in team pursuits. That's not what happens. <laughs> and there were so many crashes in the team pursuit. And, uh, you know, even when the boys won bronze, like we were so excited for them, but the Kiwis crashing, like that was so disappointing for them as well. And like, obviously all the, everyone on the team has a great relationship with the Kiwi men's team as well. So you you did feel for them. Um, So it was, it was definitely just not what we expected the vibe to be. And as the week went on, we had a few more disappointing results and, and, and it was, it was hard to watch. Like it was hard to watch. Uh, Madison teams and and things like that just not go as well as they expected. Um, But I think it's a hard lesson to learn and it's hard to watch your teammates go through that. Um, But I think it's going to make us so much stronger in the next few cycles because it's definitely, you know, without, without being able to race for so long, we're training our asses off every single day, but we're not racing. We don't know what the other countries are doing. Uh, We've kind of been out of that bubble compared to the people like the Europeans and stuff, um, which is, has been a big disadvantage. So we, we really didn't know what we were going to be coming up against. 
But on that, as you were sort of alluding to there, I mean, it's got to motivate you sort of moving mm. forward. I mean, as we keep saying, everyone keeps saying it's only three years to Paris. So it's kind of, it's a shorter cycle, but you've got things like the Commonwealth Games next year, obviously World Championships, World Cup. So you can take that disappointment, sort of bottle it, and then spur that on towards the success that will lead you into 2024. Yeah, and, and I already am. So I, one thing I told myself that I would do is after the Olympics, win or lose, is that I would continue training up until World Championships, which are in October. And as soon as my race was done, I started training for World Championships. So I've actually been on my bike every single day that I've been in quarantine. Um, every single day I've done efforts on my ergo every day, which everyone thinks I'm crazy for doing, but I'm so motivated for world champs. I want to go and put out an awesome time in my races, um, and also try some new events. We'll see what we do. I'm not even, the team hasn't even been announced yet, but that's like a massive motivation for me. So I'm going to, yeah, channel that all into the world championships. Just on the the question about sort of the team camaraderie, is there much sort of crossover or kind of, I guess, um, connections with the other cycling disciplines? So are you sort of, um, you know, working at any point with, say, any of the, the I mean, road cycling probably a little bit closer, but the BMXs or the mountain bikers, are they sort of, because they're all cycling, you're sort of in the same family or you're never going to bump into Logan Mart to celebrate his gold medal with him because he's in BMX and sort of doesn't associate with you guys in the lunchroom or something like that? <laughs> yeah so traditionally it was very exclusive and everyone was all split up uh, except for the road cyclists we generally have pretty good relationships with the road cycling uh discipline um because we are in adelaide it is pretty limited to who's in adelaide so the people we mostly have connections with are the road cyclists when they come from europe to adelaide um, obviously we see a, a lot of them then, but most of the time they're in Europe, so we don't see them. Um, we have all the track cyclists in Adelaide. Then we have, we have, uh, sometimes the BMXs. So Anthony Dean, he trains in Adelaide. Um, he's based in Adelaide. He went to the Olympics for BMX race. So he trains in the gym with us. So that's cool. Um, and it is cool seeing, seeing like the BMX and the mountain bike and, and stuff like that. We don't have a, um, a lot to do with the mountain bikers um, simply because we actually, they stayed in our hotel in, in Tokyo. So we definitely got to be around them a little bit for Tokyo. But other than that, they're in Europe as well, doing that whole World Cup uh, circuit, et cetera. So um, that's sort of separate is again. And then like with the freestylers, that's only been like a very new introduction. But like I went out and watched uh, freestyle nationals in, I think it was... March or so we were we happened to be in Melbourne at the same time so I actually went out and watched it and I nice. loved it I thought it was so cool so yeah I definitely think that we're now that it's all cycling we're we're definitely being more like everyone's kind of getting to know each other a bit more and there's been more cross-discipline sort of stuff and you know we definitely like I watched all the BMX in Tokyo. Like I had it on all the time, the race and the freestyle. Um, and like we fly with them, for example, we flew to Tokyo with the BMXs as well and, and things like that. So we're definitely getting to know each other all a bit more. Because it's, it's always fascinating sort of at the Olympics when you've got you got a sport where it's like cycling, boom, there's your sport. But then it's sort yeah. of almost seen separate. I mean, you know, your, your indoor volleyball are not going to be hanging out with the beach volleyball, even though you're sort of playing the same sport with slightly different disciplines. Yeah, so it's kind of it is weird it's like that. unique. Yeah. So yeah. I always like to see that crossover and to see where, you know, because I, I can imagine seeing like Logan winning the gold. Like it's kind of like you're under the, the banner of cycling. You've gotten a gold medal coming into the track meet. So it's kind of like 
bit of motivation. Like, great, cool, great start for yeah. the cycling crew. It, it was actually a bit like that because obviously the management of cycling kind of looks over all of that. So the people that manage like the BMXs are the same people that manage us, the same people that manage mountain bike and freestyle and uh, sorry, and race and uh, mountain bike. So it definitely, we definitely did all support each other from that perspective because Australian cycling team is Australian cycling team. We definitely have more of a connection with the other people in the Olympics who ride bikes <laughs> compared to say the other people who do diving or swimming or running. It's definitely more of a connection with the other uh, fellow two-wheeled athletes. <laughs> I like to hear that. And the, and the paracyclists as well. Brilliant, brilliant. We, so, like, I, I'm discovering certain things in certain sports. We've, we've had a few uh, biathletes on and it's kind of that crossover between biathlon and cross-country skiing. It's not really there, even though it's kind of biathlon is just cross-country skiing with a shooting element to it. So it's kind of like, well, it's kind of the same, but a yeah. little bit different. So it's it's always, it's just, it's it is very interesting to me to kind of see that you're sort of doing the same thing, but not, and, and how you can work together to kind of, I guess, compete that with that teamness and goes like yeah we are as you said the australian cycling team doesn't matter what discipline we do we are all the australian cycling team yeah definitely definitely which it works that way now i i would love to learn more about your sort of just the experiences being at the olympics because we've obviously had a few people from tokyo on and and some who have say been to other olympics and kind of comparing it obviously it's your first olympics so you don't really have another comparison but in terms of just the Olympic feel like experiencing what it's like to be an Olympian there in Tokyo, a very different experience, but were you able to soak it up? Were you able to kind of just, you know, realize, Hey, I'm in Tokyo. I'm at an Olympics. You know, I, I, everywhere I go, there's rings, I'm getting free food. I'm doing all this kind of stuff. And, and were you able to do the closing ceremony at least? I know you obviously probably weren't able to do the opening, but could you do the closing? Yeah, it's really interesting because the cycling was actually quite far out from the Olympic village. So we were a good and a half, two hours away from Tokyo. So we were out in the country and we as a team didn't even stay. They had like a, a cycling village. So it was like a mini version of the Tokyo village, but just for cyclists, how fun. Um, <laughs> and we didn't even stay in that because when we were preparing for the Olympics, we weren't sure how bad the COVID was going to be and how bad the situation was going to be. And we kind of identified that that might actually be a barrier to getting on the start start line. And if someone in the village got COVID and passed it to our team, like we're screwed. Um, that didn't ha- end up happening to any of the cyclists, but we were staying in a different hotel regardless. So we pretty much had a whole hotel booked out just for us. It was amazing. It was such a cool hotel, but that part definitely made it feel more like a world cup or a world championship, um, which is good in some ways because it reduces the pressure. Um, it made us feel quite comfortable. Like I got to race day and it's so crazy. I wasn't even nervous at the Olympics. I thought this would be like peak nerves and I wasn't nervous, which is cool actually. And I think I really got myself the best out of myself that day because it felt like another race to me. Um, then there were like some aspects that did make it really feel like an Olympics, like getting on the kit and having the rings on the track and finally seeing other countries again, which was really cool. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I actually never got to see the village and we didn't get to do a closing ceremony. So those are things that I'm really looking forward to like maybe one day doing in Paris or even LA and hopefully risen. <laughs> well, I was going to say on that, because uh, I was going to ask you about Brisbane, because I mean, you, you're still quite young, Maeve. And I, I was looking at the comparisons between yourself and, say, a certain 
Anna Mears. Now, Anna was 21 when she made her debut in, in Athens. You're 22, if I'm not mistaken. Her last Olympics yes. in Rio, she was 33. You'll be 33 in Brisbane. Her fourth yeah. Olympics could be your fourth. I mean, I'm trying to work out here the parallels here that there's plenty of uh, opportunity Hopefully. and chances for you to keep going to Brisbane there. Oh, yeah, I would I would love to keep going to Brisbane. Obviously, I've got no idea what's going to happen in the next 11 years. But um, it's, it's so, yeah, who knows? But um, that's something that I think is plausible. And, you know, I, in cycling, especially uh, women in cycling peak a, a lot later than, say, in other sports like swimming, they tend to peak like early 20s or so. Actually, there's, there's a lot of people that are now peaking older. But um, in cycling, I really think a lot of the best female cyclists get it out of themselves, you know, when they're 28 to 30 sort of range. And so that's when I'm expecting to see my best performances. Now I'm going to close this out with a series of fun questions. Before I do, one thing I believe you are, you are studying, is it both science and law, which. Yes. How, how does that work? They seem slightly <laughs> different. I mean, are you doing science law? Is that kind of how it works? But I mean, how, how do you end up studying such uh, different disciplines? Yeah, so they are very different and um, definitely use very different sides of your brain. But when I was in school, I was a massive nerd. I, I, I love my academics and I could kind of always see myself going into science, especially biological science I've been very interested in since I was a kid. Um, but I just couldn't give up the arts aspect of it. And I knew so many scientists and they were kind of like frustrated that they, they do all this great work, research, especially in conservation biology and things like that. And it just wouldn't be implemented because there's no, there's a gap between science and law and like legislation and informing that. So that's definitely been one of my areas that I'm super interested in is like, how can we adapt the law and legislation and policy to like actually implement this science research and, and to actually get good outcomes because at the moment there's just this massive divide because no one can kind of translate science talk to legal talk because both of them are horrendously like lots of jargon very niche the normal person like when I read like legislation and, and legal speak I guess to say like it's it's horrendous like it's it's difficult and same as same as science papers so it's kind of like almost a translator role I, I think I would be suited to in the future but I you know I just applied for law school and I thought if I hate this I could go into like arts or communication or something like that um, but I ended up really liking it and I love law now and you know, it's, it's taken me some time to get good at it. Um, but, and like, even now I'm probably not naturally suited to it. Like I am science, like I find science a bit easier law. I, I do find tricky, but you know, I've surprised myself and I really like, for example, I really like corporate law and I'm looking to take sports law. So they are standalone degrees and I could go into either pathway once I'm done sport, which is I, really cool. I just picture you maybe just that you, you're kind of like, a child in the fact that when you're a kid, like you, you want to do everything, right? Like you're doing, yes. you know, million and one things and then you sort of grow up and you sleep, but like you haven't grown out of that phase. Like you're no. like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to swim. I'm going to row. I'm going to, I'm going to cycle and triathlon. I'm going to do law. I'm going to do science. Like, and, and you're succeeding in all of them. So, I mean, Hey, you, you're proof that I it haven't can happen. grown out of it. Yeah. I haven't grown out of it, but I don't know. My driving crazy one day. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I, I reckon you're going to be in Brisbane, but I reckon you're going to be competing in like the modern pentathlon or something by then. Like, you oh, know, maybe. You just, you know, you're going to follow <laughs> Chloe's footsteps and just, 
go on to that sort of thing. So, wow. There's a couple of winter games in between. Winter Olympics, too. yeah. Yeah. Say. Like, just, just keep goodness. on going through. You'll be playing for the we'll Matildas and skiing. the World Cup and a couple of years. Like, everything. <laughs> Ticket off the list. Jeez. We'll see. It's, it's, like the, it's like the Maeve bingo, I think, you know, just kind of keep, keep plugging along. Now, oh. we close off our interviews with a series of fun questions. Now, uh, as I always explain, these are based off a Team Canada questionnaire that they gave their athletes ahead of the Rio and Pyeongchang Olympics, a bit of a get-to-know-you style uh, questionnaire. And I always like to choose an athlete from Canada who does the same sport, and I have found a track cyclist back from Rio, uh, Hugo Barrett. I don't know if you're familiar with Hugo at all. I, I don't know him personally, but I watched him race. In, in, okay. Um, yeah. Perfect. I was no, like to awesome. see if you know each other and things like that, how it's going. I'm, but... I'm half Canadian, actually. I'm, oh, I'm, I, okay. I could go race for Canada if I wanted to. Well, you, now you need to explain where, where that half thought... is from, where, where which part of a the dad. country. Oh, oh, all over. My sister over. actually just came back from Banff. She's been ah. there for the last two years, and I'm really wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's unrelated. <laughs> well, I, I say that. Well, like, we we are a co-Canadian Australian. Our uh, co-host Colin is not with us today. He's in Winnipeg, and I was living in Victoria and BC, nice. so kind of uh, <laughs> spread a little bit around the place there. So we like to have that connection. But also, I will say. There's always an added homework element to this. If you want to take it, maybe you don't have to. There's a couple of drawing aspects to this. If you ever want to just, you get bored for your last oh, day in goodness. quarantine and want to draw a stick figure or something. I don't know. Um, but first question, and this is one that always makes me feel old. What is the first Olympics that you ever remember watching? Beijing, 2008. Yeah, definitely makes me feel old on that one. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. Uh, if you could be any superhero, who would it be? Oh, oh! I don't know. This is like a thing about me is that I don't watch movies or anything, and I like literally. I've not seen a single Marvel movie or like superhero thing. Like, hey, no, I don't like it. That's probably no. a good thing. That doesn't no, ruin your taste oh. in sort of franchises no, now because you're not so Marvel esque. <laughs> I'm completely uncultured though. Like people, people like. Have you not seen Spider Man? And I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I've never seen Game of Thrones, and people judge me for that. So, you know, oh, it's, fair. <laughs> it's one of those sort of things. Um, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, um, I do really like like a, a good caramel ice cream or like mm. a chocolate chip. I can't go pure chocolate because that's just a bit much. And <laughs> if I said vanilla, you'd be like, that's so boring. But like, no, no, like I'm, a vanilla, I'm a vanilla acceptor. Vanilla's okay, fine. vanilla caramel is something, but like I love it when there's something crunchy in there. <laughs> okay, good. No, I, I always get excited when people answer vanilla because I I'm very pro vanilla and I think oh, it needs to vanilla. come out and yeah, like vanilla bean or sort of French vanilla, yeah. sort of one of those ones. Amazing. Um, if you were a baseball player, what would your walk up music be? Oh, um, she's a genius by Jet. Nah. That's a good like pump up tune. Good That's song, good I like it. Is there much of that going on like pre race? Like, are you, have you got the the AirPods? Yeah, we all have our headphones in. Yeah, we all have our headphones in. We'll just pick like yeah. They they we don't really. Sometimes in like six day cycling events, you you do like a flying two hundred with your Madison teammate, and you like um, they call it like a flying two hundred, and you you get like your music to play, and you like throw your teammate in, and they'll do their lap. And I remember me and my teammate Bree, we we did that one time. We uh, we chose, uh, what did we choose? I think it was like some Blink-182 or something, but like oh, you nice. can just, just choose some funny songs. Like, like wow. everyone, 
and by the end of it was just like taking the piss out of it was just choosing the most ridiculous songs and the crowd are like what is this soundtrack and they didn't realize that the athletes picked the songs and yeah i, I would just be out there going let's, let's strawberry kisses by nikki webb so let's yeah, kind of yeah, throw no, it out honestly. there just to, you know do that you know that that works all the old bieber songs that everybody hates and things along those lines or something like that um oh, yes the best nickname you have ever been called best or worst Let's go both. Let's go for I'm, – I'm intrigued now for that one, both. <laughs> I was going to say I've got some really bad ones. When I was swimming, um, my primary school friends used to call me Mermaid. They thought that was really cute. And like, that's that's and, <laughs> like that. <laughs> that's so cute. Um, and do you, I don't know if you remember Jamae Private School Girl, but she's yes, always yes. like, that's yep. amazing. And I figured out I can go, that's amazing as well. So that one tied in. Um, and then in my adult life, like people just pretty much call me what their spell check corrects my name to. So like Mav, Mavis, Mavel, like anything like, like, and it just got taken too far at some point. Like someone was calling me Mavlova at some point. And I was like, that's like, wow. Mavlova. That's, um, geez. I didn't know to say that. <laughs> I didn't think that there were many ways that you could change, like, nickname a one-syllable name. But, yeah, no, Mav really took off and Mavis and Mavis and, Mavis. and all sorts of things that I hate. Yeah, it's horrendous. Well, I'm just – I'm picturing more of a case if you ever were to try out for the Matildas, become a goalie, so then they could be like, nice save, Mav, like, you know, like Mav, <laughs> yeah. oh. Mav the Sabre, you know, like, I don't know. I do like that. Things I like that. Like that. Well, if you, if you kind of have get a bit wonky on the bike, your team, oh, nice save, Maeve. Like, you know, there, there you go. Like, that's, you can use that for free. Um, growing right. up, growing up, who was your favourite sports team? Um, I did really love the Australian swim team. Libby Trickett visited my school in 2008 and I was, nice. like, obsessed with her. I, I love that team. <laughs> it's always fascinating when you were sort of mentioning before about sort of getting visited by it. Like I remember like as a kid, I, I think I won some Telstra competition. I got a swim clinic with Grant Hackett. And like as a kid, like you just remember little things like that. And you're like, mm. this is like the greatest thing ever. And yeah. you just you just admire and look up. And like I guess kind of on the side note with that, like you were mentioning to me a little bit off air about what you're doing in quarantine, but you said you were going to go to some schools and kind of visit sort of kids. So like you now can be that person. You can be the Libby Trickett that maybe there's going to be some young girl at a school you visit and they're going to look up to you and go, I'm going to go to Brisbane and do that. Like that must be a pretty cool feeling to make it go full circle. It is a really cool feeling. And it's something that I, I definitely started feel, like thinking about when I started going into Tokyo and I was like, okay, this has to be on the top of my priority list is to like see kids and stuff because even if you don't win, they don't care. They just like care that you're there talking to them. So it's a huge priority for me. I'm going to ask one question about being from Adelaide. Crows or the power? Oh, power. Okay. All right. <laughs> definitely. That's yeah. Interesting. Right. <laughs> I, uh... coming out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I'm a Carlton supporter. I have no, I have no bearing either way. But I just, I just like to find out. You know, you've got to be one or the other, right? So it kind of, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. it works. Yeah. Now, you sort of kind of answered this based on what you're studying. Uh, if you weren't an athlete, what would you be? I mean, you can make your wide open mind open even more here, though. I mean, you seem to yeah. have a problem making your mind up, mate. So I'm wondering where this. Yeah, goes. studying <laughs> studying marine biology, so maybe like a scuba diving lawyer. <laughs> nice. Hey, there's your superhero right there, scuba diving lawyer. Go. Hey. That's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, Marvel and DC, if you're listening, take that one as well. Um, your guilty pleasure snack is? 
Oh, we already said this, but I love ice cream. Okay. Ice cream is the best. And like, so same as brownies. Brownies are really mm. good. And then ice cream and brownies together is just mind blowing. Nice. I definitely I actually, say, yeah. I really like Hugo's answer here. Poutine with bacon. I just want poutine now. That oh. I've seen that. You know, like, yeah, that is oh. the most Canadian answer. It really like is, the only more Canadian thing he could have said would be like maple syrup with bacon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> While listening to Nickelback or something like that and watching hockey, like just, you know, kind of adding on to that one. Do you actually just on the hockey thing, do you, do you have sort of a dad hockey team that you have to go for being that he's Canadian? Uh, yeah, I stay out of that. I do not watch the hockey. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I think get if I lived it. in Canada, yeah, I think if I lived in Canada, I'd be thrown into it and I'd get it. I guarantee <laughs> I for it as it is. you'll start watching it and then you'll make the Australian women's hockey team for like 2026. So just based on Do how we you have go one? with things. <laughs> There is one. They've never okay, made the Olympics, cool. but you could be oh. on that first team. So uh, you've got history potentially there. Now, I always get intrigued about this question because I feel this is a more difficult question than people give it credit for. What is your favourite song lyric? Oh, God. Oh, no. It's one of those ones know. where it's like unless you've got one straight away, like it's kind yeah. of like, wow, you've got to really think about it, don't you? No, yeah, that's definitely not one that if you if you had time with your quiz, you could definitely work that out, but that that's difficult. <laughs> this is where you see it's a written one because they've got more. Again, like the drawings yeah. here, you've got draw an Olympic medal, draw your favourite Canadian animal and draw a picture of yourself. So, you know, that's- homework for you. Terrible. Like, yeah. I would not want to see those. <laughs> Actually, I will say, he goes well here on the moose. Animal. It's a pretty good looking moose. <laughs> That's uh, so bad because I was going to say I would draw a moose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I think we always get that because it's like Canadian animal, moose. Yep. That's uh, that's where you go to with that one. Um, I would have also drawn a moose. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to see it now. You, again, you've got 24 hours till you're out. Go for it. Um, What is the most recent TV show that you binge watched? Uh, binge watch, binge watch. <laughs> I know you just said you haven't seen Game of Thrones and it was probably Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I haven't seen Game of Thrones. Can't ride a bike. I'm embarrassing myself today. It's, it's, just excluding it's, you. <laughs> it's fine. I get it. I'm, I'm with the BMX guys at the other end of the lunchroom. It's yeah. fine. I understand. Um, your favourite place in the world to compete is? Um, I... Loved oh oh which velodrome have I loved the most? You know what? Like it's, this is almost going to sound boring, but one of the coolest competitions that I did was that Brisbane World Cup because it was like a home crowd, and I, I went there for Com Games as well and watched, and just like the vibe and the atmosphere for the Australian riders was just like intense. So. That's like a massive motivation for me going to Brisbane is getting to race on that track in front of all those people. So I'm going to do like a future one and say, that's what I'm looking forward to competing at. Like that's the, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I mentioned Anamese, Anamese Velodrome. So it's perfect, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly. And like, obviously I've loved everywhere else. Like I love Paris World Cup. That was sick. The vibe there was cool. World Champs in Berlin was awesome. Um, Even Junior Worlds was in um, Montecari in Italy. And I really like Italy as well. I would love to go back there. I also love the fact you didn't say Invercargill. It makes me happy. Um, Hello to all our Invercargill (laughs) listeners out there uh, listening today. Um, Your favourite video game? Is. Oh, I don't like video games. Okay. Like the extent of my video games is um, Mario Kart on like my Nintendo DS Lite in 
2009 like yeah I'm really bad <laughs> I'm really bad at video games I don't have any brothers I know that girls play video games heaps now but like growing up my friends with brothers would be like good at video games and they play video games but like we had like a Wii and that's it and like <laughs> everyone had a Wii didn't we at one my point fa- my favorite yeah. video game is Wii Sport Bowling Continue. oh yes <laughs> did you ever get a did you ever get the 300 because that was like always the challenge right you had to try and get the the 300 which was always hard to get oh uh, I would get excited just when I got a strike, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Correct answer, I think. Um, a final question for you. What is one thing you can't live without? Oh, like, is it like, obviously, if I say my bike, that's a super boring answer. <laughs> well, I would almost um, expect that answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, this is... Like I, I have realized in quarantine that that is the one thing that I couldn't have got through quarantine without. Like I haven't, I've got my TV up there and I've barely even turned it on. Like I've barely used anything except for my bike here. So I guess that kind of answers it. Like that's it the thing I've used the most here Yeah, is my bike. <laughs> I like it. No, that's, that and look, it's good sense. transport. It's, it's good transport as well it's and it's i love being outdoors so my my road bike like helps me explore and stuff my bike and i love my camera as well that's that's another thing i'd say i love my camera perfect well on that note camera relates to things like instagram this is a place right now to plug instagram twitter facebook anything out there if people want to follow your journey Maeve, like uh, plug plug where they can follow you Yep, it's just Maeve Plouffe, so just my name, and I'm sure the correct spelling will be on the <laughs> podcast description it or something like that, so don't worry if you can't spell Maeve <laughs> because not many people can. Not Mav, nothing like that. Um, yeah, just Maeve Plouffe, just my name for all of my socials. I've got Twitter, I've got Facebook, I've got Instagram, probably use Instagram the most. That's probably where you'll find me the most regularly, but if you do like Twitter and things like that, I do have that there as well. So What about, yeah. what about TikTok? Are you on TikTok? Uh, no, no. I've tried. I've tried a little bit. Like my little sister gets on it and stuff. But I'm technically I could have a TikTok though. Like I'm allowed to because I was. I would call myself a 2000s kid. Like yeah. I was born late '99, so I think I'm young enough to have a TikTok. But. I'm an awful dancer, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm that type of old person who says I still think TikTok's that Kesha song. So kind of, I just, I just move on. Oh and, yeah, good song though. Yeah. Yeah, great song. There's a pump up song for you to use. You can. Uh, yeah, there's my walking music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maeve, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you today and learning a lot about uh, the Olympic experience, your career. We're going to keep an eye out for you, of course. Moving forward to Paris, to LA, to Brisbane, to 2036, to 2040. Hell, you'll be 2044. You'll be going on there on and winning multiple gold medals but it's been a pleasure having you off the podium today and uh we thank you for your time thank you so much it was fun and a big thanks to Maeve there a lot of fun learning about the sport and of course by the time as i said in the beginning of this interview that people are listening to this Maeve's out so uh it's always exciting when you get out of quarantine done it a few times myself so I understand that feeling when you finally do get out of quarantine. But, Maeve, thank you very much for your time. We've got some more great interviews coming your way. Stay tuned for those. And, of course, to stay up to date with who we've got on, who's coming up, everything else in between, hit us up on social media, off the podium, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the best ones. And 
the other ones. We're not on TikTok or Tumblr or any of those ones, so let's just stick with the best ones. Also, if you want to subscribe to us on the channels of podcasting, search for Off The Podium, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, they're the main ones. Leave us some feedback. We'd appreciate to hear what you think of the show. Maybe you've got some guests you'd like us to track down to get on the show. We would love to hear what you think. And leave us a rating too. I think you should because it's a good thing to do. And everyone likes to do good things because it makes them feel nice. Uh, big thanks to Maeve. I'm going to end this right now. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. This has been Off The Podium. I'm Ben, and we'll speak to you next time. Good night. Turning Japanese up and come, turning Japanese up and things so